A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Wood smoke, wool, and weirdos. The unofficial slogan of one of my favorite events in a year. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. And today, we're going to take you off to winter camp, or at least what many of us see as the kickoff to the winter camping season. Um, and I have a couple old friends in here with me today, um, Matt Rasky and Ryan Fox, proprietors of the Winter Camping Symposium. You guys are busy right now. One week and the symposium kicks off. Welcome. It's Thanks nice to be here. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, the busiest time for us in the week before the event. So, yeah, I'm glad we could get in here and talk to you about it. All right. So, uh, first off, before we get to the symposium itself, which is this big weekend event, like this whole winter camping thing, right? We're all in the same frozen boat here people look at you and just go what the hell is wrong with you right oh for sure like what is the draw of going outdoors in sub-zero temps to thrive well for me it's always been about winter and being outside my dad introduced me and just i don't know gen x just kicked me outside i guess during the winter and told me to go have a good time and and uh I've just really tried to keep that mentality up this, sorry. You've just tried to keep that up your entire life. But do you have a memory of being a kid and camping in rough conditions? Yeah. When um, I was in Boy Scouts, they sent us out. uh, It was 25 below, I think, and we froze. I mean, we were about as close (laughs) to freezing solid as you can get. It was very uncomfortable. And... uh, we didn't like it at all, but um, I think that's kind of, you kind of grow and learn all that you need to know about camping and, and staying warm and being comfortable. And where was this true? Um, it would have been around Alexandria, Minnesota. Um, yeah, I don't know the area that we were in, maybe by the Crow River. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's funny you say that because one of my memories is we had severe cold, and we did the same thing. Our scout troop went out, and we had four canvas tents, like baker tents, together in this cross shape with a barrel stove. And I can remember taking bales of hay to insulate the ground, thinking, I'm like 13 years old, and this is a tinder pot. Yeah. We're not going to make it out of here. And it was an awful night in my... 30 degree REI that I had saved up all my money and the thing was already starting to rot out. But Sunday morning, we get up. Again, it's still, 
you know, 28 below zero or whatever it is, and a reporter from the old Tribune, Minneapolis Tribune, is that right? Came out to do a story with this. And I remember we were cooking breakfast and I was looking at her standing there thinking, she is literally about to die. <laughs> right, right. And here we are. Ryan, do you have memories of your first winter camp? Yeah, so I mean, I remember um, when I was younger, I mean, a, a little bit like Matt, when I grew up, I actually spent um, the first 10 to 12 years of my life uh, growing up in Idaho. And, and so grew up skiing and outside in the winter all the time. Uh, when we moved to Minnesota, the winters were quite a bit different. We went from less snow load to these extreme negative temperatures, but yet my family's kind of idea about getting outside and being outside and a part of nature never changed. Yeah. And so that, that part of it was, was, was kind of always ingrained in me. But as I grew older, what I realized is that I didn't necessarily want to canoe or backpack or pull a toboggan. I just wanted to be outside. And so what was going to be the thing that was going to help me do that? Well, coming out of kind of a backpacking, canoeing background when I was younger, growing up in Minnesota, as some of us outdoorsmen do, there was a transitional period where we went, okay, I spend all winter doing nothing, and then all of a sudden I'm going to hop you know, on a trail and start backpacking right away in the spring. And um, so a good friend of ours, a childhood friend of mine, actually had heard through the grapevine that someone in Duluth College was renting out a canvas tent out of their basement, and you could take this canvas tent and this stove out. And that sounded appealing. We had done cold weather tarp camping, unappealing. We had stayed in a dome tent in the winter, horrible. Horrible. So the, this idea of bringing this canvas shelter into the, into the wilderness and having a wood stove that provided heat inside was amazing to us. We thought that would be great. Well, no one provided us any information on how to do that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we uh, find this basement. In, the, in, in Duluth, we meet the guy, and, and we didn't even meet the guy. There's a note on the door, tent's right there, leave the money in the box. Okay. We take this tent, we take this wood stove, we haul in. I want to say it was Lake Isabella that we went in on. And first night was the worst night I've ever experienced in a tent, ever. I mean, it was 15 below, freezing. We cut wet wood. The tent was in the wrong spot. We set up on land, rocks in the middle of where we were trying to sleep. I mean, it was horrible. We didn't sleep a wink. So the next morning, we woke up. We're, we're not the type of guys that give up too easy. So we woke up, and we went, okay, what do we need to do? Well, we brought the tent down on the ice. We repositioned. We repositioned the stovepipe. We searched for two hours, found a truly dead, dry tree, cut that down. Second night of winter camping, best night of my life, hooked, hooked. So that's my first introduction to that, um, and man, ever since, yeah, I mean, been doing it every 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 season for sure, as much as I can get out. And I think that's what is appealing about it, right? Once you learn right from wrong in the process of doing it, and you get your tips and your tricks, and you sort of figure it out, and which takes nothing but time and trial and error, then it becomes pretty satisfying. Yeah, I think there's a, a quiet confidence you gain after having some experience um, that allows you then to be comfortable in a situation that would make others uncomfortable. Um, and that's kind of what you get is the first, you'll meet a person that maybe has some outdoor experience but had never been out in the winter, and you say, oh, this is what I'm passionate about, this is what I like to do, and they do look at you like you're 
crazy. And it's not because you're crazy, it's because they're inexperienced. And yes. so part of what we're doing with the symposium is to try to raise that experience level up so that, you know, we can we can have strangers among us. Like, you know, we're all we can all be weird together, you know, to some degree. But I think it is just about that experience because if you have some confidence and you've got a skill set, then it becomes easier and then that becomes then more enjoyable. All right, let's talk about the symposium. I was being a little bit facetious because we had a guy in a tent when we were there documenting from Minnesota Mounds that would smoke wool and weirdos, and all three apply, right? Like, Matt, what is the symposium? So it's an event that we put on um, just to really teach and bring this community t- together. Um, we usually get around... 150 people, give or take, depending on the year. Um, people set up all of their winter tents and stoves, and uh, we then pretty much just give classes uh, Friday and Saturday, teach people everything from um, winter camping 101 all the way up to uh, expedition-type stuff. And um, also try to teach a lot about firecraft and knot tying and a lot of things related to being outside um, so yeah, we try to give a big round, um, experience to everybody that comes. And how did it, how did it come to be? Like, where did it come from? Was it, I'll call them the old timers, but was it the Dan Cooks and the Don Cavalses that kind of laid the groundwork? Yeah, you're right in that. Um, and it actually, it was, I would say, um, Don Cavallis from Four Dog Stove, Dwayne and Margot Lottig from Snow Trekker Tent, yep. Kevin Kinney from Empire Canvas Works, um, and also Chris Evavald, who owned Black River um, Sleds. And so th- those four were really kind of the, the first early ones, and they were putting their own money up, and just to get a small gathering together, they were doing it like at Ely Community College and some Y camps in some areas, and really didn't have a large attendance, but it was, you know, and that was, what, 23, 20, how many years ago now? Mm. Yeah, yeah, 25 years. 25 years or so ago. So the event was pretty small for a number of years. I mean, the first year I I went, I believe the first year I went to one was at Ely. And we were, and it was actually my friend and I were on a winter trip or on a trip. And and we kind of stopped through there. Yeah, swing through there. And there wasn't that many people there. Um, And it was more like a get together. It really wasn't formal like we have now where we had classes and speakers and these kind of things, or sponsors even. It was just like a group of people getting together, sharing knowledge, looking at each other's equipment and that kind of stuff. And that's kind of where it started. Um, it certainly has grown since then. Um, certainly since guys like Matt and myself have gotten involved. We, you know, we're a, a younger generation. We looked at it a little differently. We had been to many expos, right, over over the years and seen um, – how those were constructed as far as teaching people. And that's, I think, what we saw that event could be. Um, And then there was a sustainability aspect of it of, you know, can it be financially stable, provide for itself, put on its, you know, so that you're not putting up your personal money to try to hold an event. So there were some goals there early on when we kind of got involved um, to bring in some sponsorship, to have formal classes and speakers. Um, I think that that was the big change. Um, but the core of it, which is collaboration and education, is still absolutely the same. I mean, that is our primary focus for sure. Well, and it's also an outlet for a lot of people. I do think that some of your attendees, that is their culmination. That is their version 
of winter camp, right? I can remember showing up, listening to these guys from, I don't know, Illinois or Nebraska talking about their gnarly, hairy, you know, winter camping expeditions and their stove is shiny silver and, you know, the tent is bleached white and, and, and folded. And that's the fun of it. It's an outlet for people. It's become a destination. Absolutely. People just want to be there and be a part of that scene. Right. We have, we have people at the event on the last day of event asking us what the dates are for next year so they can make sure they have it off of work. Right. I mean, these people plan a year in advance to come up. And in fact, we have people that show up two days in advance of anything planned just to camp and have fellowship with other people. Um, I think for the person that, you know, maybe camps a couple times a year in their winter setup, maybe they're going to a state park or something like that, or even they're just their local acreage or whatever it is, they can come up to the symposium and really meet the people that are, are doing what they what they want to do or what they dream about doing, but maybe they're not able to or whatever, but they get sure. to meet the guy with the super dirty tent and the, and the dirty stove that camps. I don't know. I mean, last night I was in, or last winter I was in a winter tent 37 nights, you know, so that, that experience to be able to share that with someone that really is hungry for it. It's yeah, they're planning for it there and they have a great time and we get people from all over. I mean, you'd be amazed at, at, at how far people are willing to travel to come to this event. States. Oh, I, I mean, we have attendees from Japan. Okay, so I mean, this is, it is by far the largest winter camping event on the planet. I mean, I am very confident in saying that. There are other groups, um, outdoor skills groups, bushcraft events, things like that. But as far as winter camping goes, I mean, we're it. We're, we're, the, we're the kind of the, the biggest, most involved, with the most sponsorship. We, we generally draw the best speakers. Um, you know, there's some other events around, but not, I mean, not really kind of to our size. All right. We're going to give away a few secrets here in a second. I want to talk about one of the big events that happens within the winter camping symposium that always ends up online. But first we need to thank a few sponsors who help make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. We appreciate you listening to the stories behind the stories. Bill Shirk here. You know how much the Shirk family loves Connecticut water. No secret. We have it in our home, and now we've added it to our cabin life. And, oh, what a difference. Believe me, for as long as I can remember, we've dealt with cabin water up in central Minnesota. Stinky, foul, well water. After, believe it or not, a painless four-hour installation, we have Connecticut soft water, and Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make coffee in the morning. It's great drinking water. It comes right out of our K5 tap. It's just crazy how quickly things changed. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and that Connecticut water cleaned up our showers and our dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you and join the Kinetico family. Did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years while electric heat pumps only last about 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat in your home. Why buy two heating systems when propane furnace can do it all? Lasts longer, works better, and costs less. These things and more are being done today with propane. The right energy right now. 
Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pond Two Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the Rolla Dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic Rolla Dock or the new Ultra Dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Ryan Fox and Matt Rasky are my guests today, and we are talking about the Winter Camping Symposium, which always happens about the third week of October. Um, the Shirk <laughs> barometer for us, that's always during youth hockey tryouts. So about every other year we get hosed out of not being able to attend because the dang boys need to be back home at the ice arena. This year we're off the hook, so we'll be there for uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the Sunday, all four days. Love it. Uh, the camping symposium, you have a bunch of people at the YMCA camp set up. There are tents all over. You're running the classes. They're sewing of gear. They're, you know, snowshoes, obviously some of the bushcraft skills stuff. But then at one point of the weekend, it seems like everyone grabs their favorite beverage, whether it's a cocktail or a beer or whatever. A few folks grab video cameras or cell phones now, and you take a tour, the shelter tour. What gives, like, it is Parade of Homes Winter Camping <laughs> Symposium style. Uh, yeah, so the tent tour is an annual thing that happens within the, within the, uh, within the symposium. And um, for many years, it, it, it was groups of people would walk around the camp or wherever the venue was and um, would talk about the different types of shelters and the different types of tents or the stoves that they're running. But it was small groups. A group of five would end up stopping in a tent and talking to the person. Well, it was much easier to organize a small parade of homes where if you want to show off your stuff, you know at Saturday at four o'clock, you're going to be by your tent and there's going to be a group of 80 people right. that are going to walk around and stop at unique um, setups um, and, and sometimes just standard setups suited just to talk about the style of tent or the style of wood stove. Generally, that's led by, by one of us as an organizer, as well as Dwayne Lottig, who owns Snow Tricker Tent um, with his son, Jonah. And so that's usually the dynamic of the tent tour. It seems to last about two hours. Right. I mean, it's a long deal. And people, I mean, they decorate their tents for this. Uh, if we have it in and around Halloween, there's jack-o'-lanterns. They're giving out treats. They're, you know, I, I, one year there was a guy that put up a little mini white picket fence around his tent. You know, so... Uh, the 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 tent owners really get, really get into it too. Um, was it last year that the kids group organized trick or treating? Yeah, and I they think went so. around individual tents and and actually did that. So um, it's also a way to kind of bring, you know, it's a large group of people. So this is a way that we can bring that large group of people together um, and doing one thing. That's why we do um, a group announcements Friday and Saturday nights. Why we do a, a raffle giveaway is. Um, we're, we're trying to keep the group together also. So not just individual classes where there's 20, 30 people, but some, a few events during the weekend where everyone's together and you can kind of get a really good look of 
how many people are actually there and how many people enjoy the same things you do. And it's tips and tricks, and you always pick up one little thing on the tour. From And it's amazing when you start thinking about the shelters. I'm just going to buzz off a list here. Snow Trekker. Obviously, there are a lot of Snow Trekker canvas tents. You've got, you know, teepees from Seek Outside. You've got Kodiak canvas. You've got, uh, oh, gosh. I mean, all I mean, Arctic oven would be Arctic another ovens, another which one. are sure. so above and yep. beyond. You've got Ted Williams, Sears canvas, ten, right? yep. like they're all these different shelters that everyone makes their own, and a lot of homemade tents too. Yes. Yeah, quite or, a few, or modified three season tents that have a stove jack in them. And and that's the thing. I grew up cold camping, right? All winter long, you were going to sleep in a shelter, which in my case was always a Quincy or a snow cave. You had a big bonfire. The bigger you built it, the warmer you were and the more you were able to manage, you know, moisture. That's how we learned when we were kids. Yep. But then all of a sudden, a few years back, there's this whole thing about, well, you can have a wood stove in a tent. You know, no, you can't. We were always taught that flame and tents don't mix, but it's a thing, and it's unbelievable. You know, the... The not having a, a wood stove in a tent um, came out of the BSA, the Boy Scouts of America. So their cold weather training, and still is to this day, yep. is they don't promote um, fires inside tents. Now, as an organization, um, well, I, as an I Eagle can see Scout, where they're coming from. I do, just <laughs> so true. you yeah. know. Um, now, what I will say is because of um, what's been going on over the last, let's say, 15 years as far as our um, – sport our passion goes is that they're coming around a little bit um they're liking the idea of maybe um introducing uh a canvas wall tent and wood stove as a supplement to their cold weather leader training and i think it's a great idea because most of us like you had said and matt said too is our first winter camping experiences were not awesome really decades right and we're cold and we're not happy about it we and you lose that younger mentality. If they don't have fun, they're not going to want to do it again. You know, so um, I think, you know, there's a sense of that. And the other thing is that, you know, when we first kind of started doing this, the equipment was unattainable. The, there, were, there were very small companies doing it, and the prices were very high. So we were making our own tents, or we were cutting holes in other tents and sewing stove jacks. And um, the first wood stove I ever owned, I made out of duck work that I bought out of Menard's. Um, lot. I mean, I, I had a buddy. He told me how to do it. I built the stove basically in the aisle. The kid's like, can I help you with anything? I'm like, no. And, and I built a ductwork wood stove. And that ran, I ran that for three years. And it worked. It worked. Still works. Still own it. You know, so um, a lot of that, we were having to build our own stuff, yeah. you know. And now, like you alluded to with the tent manufacturers, quite a bit available um, to us. And, and, you know, so there's people that still build their own stuff, but there's a lot of stuff now that's, that's more affordable. And, and within the last few years, um, the foreign offerings are, are, are very available and very affordable. Yeah. Now, the yeah. quality isn't as good. I'll be honest with that, my experience. Um, but it's reaching the masses, 
you know, there, there's more people that can afford to get into a winter tent and justify potentially not using it, like say as much as Matt and I do, yeah. but say, okay, I can make this expenditure and justify the three nights that, or the three trips that I'm going to go on and I can buy this cheaper maybe tent or this cheaper stove and still get out there. Um, and that's the important part, getting out there, right? It doesn't really matter what you're using. The getting out there part, at least from the symposium standpoint, is the important part. And I saw that a year ago. We had some first-timers out in Voyagers National Park, and one of them had purchased an Amazon teepee and wood stove. And his experience outside of firing that stove initially inside his shelter to burn off the oil. Oh, yeah. Outside of that, he had an amazing experience, right? Mm -hmm. And... I think he had like 150 bucks into that deal. Right. Amazing. Right? So you have just made a positive imprint. That guy wants to go winter camping again because his experience was right. very positive and he didn't break the bank in the process. We're talking about some of these tents. I just paid for one, $2,000 plus a $1,000 titanium stove. But it is expedition quality stuff that will last a lifetime if you take care of it. Those tents and stoves have lived in the Arctic for the last two decades without an issue. I mean, there's trappers that live out of those uh, tents for five to six months out of the year. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, yeah, it's ex expedition grade quality um, equipment is absolutely correct. And... For trips that Matt and I would prefer to take, which are backcountry wilderness trips into the Boundary Waters, to me, that level of equipment is necessary to mitigate the amount of risk. Which I mean, is all winter camping off the grid is about is assessing risk. 100%. Yep, you are, you are absolutely right in that. I mean, when you are traveling in weather that wants to kill you, you need to have a certain skill set. You need to have some knowledge. And the symposium is a great place for that because you've got so many experienced people that can look at and you go, hey, you're going to survive at 20 below if you do these things. Not only are you going to survive, but you're going to thrive and be comfortable. Um, and having someone with some confidence experience tell you that, that's, that's a lot better than surfing the Internet to find out information from someone that you have no idea what they've done or what their experiences are or whatever. They might just be feeding you a load of, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's... A load of what, Ryan? A load of, load of crap. Bill. We, you know, and so we, we, we certainly, I think, are good at wading through that stuff. Yeah. Um, the speakers and presenters that we have at our event, um, I'll be honest, are vetted. And they're vetted um, from guys that have that experience. And so we, we understand what they're doing, what they're capable of, what their experience was, and how they're going to translate that to our attendees. Yep. Um, and that is, that is the most important thing for us as organizers. You know? and, and we are truly that. I mean, um, we're, we're organizers here. It's, it's our attendees' events. It's not our event. It's their event. We're just trying to, you know, kind of cross the T's and dot the I's when it comes to that. Um, we, we, we choose the speakers and stuff, of course, um, but it's really fueled by the suggestions that we get out of our attendees every year. Love it. Can't wait. I want to go back to Expedition Quality Gear for a second. A little shameless shout-out to Dan Cook because with my family, we had a great moment. When COVID hit, all of us will never forget that March when everything just sort of shut down. Shirk boys are suddenly out of school. School is done. And you kind of go, what now? 
Dan Cook had said, all right, Shirk Boys, if you draw the design for a tent, I will build it for you. And they did a little horse trade. The boys spent 147 nights in that Dan Cook shelter. Spring into summer, we had some nights inside, and then things went back to normal for a little bit. Then they shut it back down. The shelter went back up in the fall into Christmas. And that thing is still rock solid. Now, it's funny. We took it to turkey camp last year. It's sort of a wall tent, sort of sill nylon. And somebody made the comment about, oh, what year is that tent? Because it's worn, it's faded from the sun. I laughed. I said, oh, it's, you know, 12 months old. Yeah. They go, what? And you go, start doing the math. 147. You know, a lot of us followed along on your boy's adventure with that. You know, it was really... Uh, you know, Matt and I are both parents, yeah. um, and I'll speak for myself in this, but I looked at that as uh, as what a great little mini adventure for those for those boys to experience. Um, and I've raised my my children somewhat of the same way to be self resilient, be adventurous, and and do some of those things. And and um, getting back to Dan Dan Cook in particular, um, he's been a longtime supporter of the symposium. Not only does he um, donate equipment. Um, for our raffle and our giveaways, but he donates his time every year. Um, his class that he does on tarps is probably the best attended, the the most attended, like regular attendance out of all the classes that we have. I mean, he always pulls a group and um, talk about a man that's been in the industry for, I mean, Ever. he's got to be going on 40 years. Um, and the level of the of the equipment that he's producing is absolutely expedition grade. I mean, his stuff has been all over the world. In my opinion, he by he absolutely makes the best tarp on the market. And it's funny because when I was much younger, I would see his packs on a portage in the Boundary Waters, and I always knew the color, and I always knew the logo, but I also knew it was something I could never afford. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. it was just yeah. out of my... Yep. I was going to, there used to be a store here called Banks, and it was overstock, and, you know, some warehouse of gear would burn down, and they'd put all the smoky gear, you know, two-for-one oh, yeah. sale at Banks, and that's how I bought all my camping gear growing up. But, like, Cook Custom Sewing stuff was always, yep. you know. Top shelf. So the all these people are still larger than life to me. Yeah, for sure. I still get a little starstruck when I when I run into Dan or, um, you know, and I, I would consider him a friend. But, uh, yeah, it's still a little like, man, yeah, when I was younger, a cook pack was, yeah, it was it was like the, the Cadillac, yep. right? You know, and it was something that, yeah, you couldn't afford, but if you did. And actually, the first cook pack that I ever owned, I bought used, and it was several years old. I mean, it had been used, looked had been used, and it was only $40 cheaper than retail. Right. And <laughs> I mean, that says something. And right? the people that produce this gear pride themselves on that. And, and I want to go back to the quirkiness of all this, right? The Winter Camping Symposium is quirky. And that is a good thing. I can think of Dan Cook standing there. And like, he was with three other people, and they were arguing the merits of these specific knots. And they were ready to punch each other out. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Over the debate over these knots, knots. and tarps. Yeah. And 
Like yep. it's wonderful. You just stand back yeah. and you go, have at it. Dan would be a great example if he, he's a guy that says, "Hey, man, I fit in around here." You know, right? And and uh, and yeah, and and you know, guy, people like that. Um, that's kind of our average attendee. You know, you know what right. I mean? Like it's not. I would say the average person that doesn't know about winter camping would show up to the winter symposium, look around, and go, "This is absolutely not normal <laughs> at all." Um, and and that's why we fit in. That's why we fit in. That's why um, Matt's shaking his head. Yeah, that's why we get so passionate. I think about it. You know, too, is that it's some. It's like you're finally with a group of people where you can share this quirkiness with. I think quirky is a great word for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, to be able to be around like-minded people. Uh, is really is really cool. We we not last year, but the year before, we did have to um, cancel the event due to COVID. Uh, a lot of people were disappointed by that, but we got overwhelming support that that was the right decision. Last year, when everybody came back together, it was like the family reunion. Yeah, that should have happened. And um, you know, these are like really close friends that I only see once a year. You know, mm-hmm. and and we can relate. And through all of that, what you'll what you'll not find at the symposium are poor political discourse or arguments about that kind of stuff. No one cares about that stuff at our event. We're all there because we want to be outside in the winter and we enjoy nature. And we and for some reason we love sleeping in a tent at twenty below. Yep. Right. Um, it's amazing how people can come together from all walks of life, from different parts of the world, not just the country, but the world can come together. Um, that's, that's satisfying as an organizer to be able to see, to oh, see yeah. that. Oh, yeah. That gets, Shirk, keeps my fire burning. I will tell you that the Shirk Boys are just counting the days till they can chase down Takashi and yeah. see if he's got any more of his Japanese candy. Candy, yeah, that is awesome. It's That's really fun to hear that, that um, especially the the younger people are excited mm-hmm. um, about about coming. We can get excited, but, you know, the, that our kids um, are now coming into that age where, and all three of us sitting here, we have kids about the same age. And so what a cool experience to have those kids meet and go, oh, yeah, I did this once. And, hey, I stayed 140-whatever nights in the tent and, you know, and stuff like that. So Because they're going to have their own perspective and their own moments um, that is going to be separate from us as parents that will help define what their life will be like outdoors. And, and that's something that we can't really relate to. I'm not 15. I can't, you know, I don't know how to relate to that. Barely, you know. All right. In a second, let's talk about some of the highlights of the event for this year. Let's get people excited. But first, let's thank all the great sponsors who help make the Minnesota Bound podcast. The stories behind the stories happen every week. The Minnesota Historical Society a message for you. Come visit Historic Fort Snelling, Minnesota's first national historic landmark, a place where waters, people, and ideas have come together for thousands of years. Hear many stories told by many voices and learn more about how lives and history intersect in ways that are stirring, powerful, complex, and still relevant today. Whether revisiting your favorite parts of history or learning something new. It's waiting for you at Historic Fort Snelling. Learn more at mnhs.org slash Fort Snelling. 
Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this, with an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks, North Dakota Central Region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit LegendaryND.com. All right. So we just happen to be recording this one week out from the symposium, but it's kind of a year-round discussion. So highlights for me, setting up, getting the, you know, the winter camp set up. I think the Shirk boys want to set up their Nan Cook special shelter that's so worn and, and do that deal. The reunion with people, right? Having a beer around the tent checking out the stoves, hanging out, just saying hi to people. The courses, obviously you can learn anything you want. People bring sewing machines and they work on their own gear. Uh, the auctions, the silent auctions, the trade stuff, of which I'm going to do a shameless plug here. I actually will have a bin that I am bringing that I've been filling with just stuff. For the gear swap. Gear that I just don't. Yep. need so you guys tell me what you want me to do with it i will put a tip box outside the tent and let people pick stuff or if it goes to you guys and you raise funds but i'm looking forward to that obviously some of the nighttime activities after dark and libations even the silly ymca meals yeah right on yeah. the trays right you know there's like <laughs> we're going to summer camps to summer in camp. the fall yeah. oh, but funny. what else what else are the big draws for you guys what else do you think will intrigue people well we have music um four mile portage is coming this year we just booked them yesterday mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh they're going to play some good music with uh maybe a little square dancing and uh you've mentioned beer a couple times bill uh, Moose Lake Brewing is uh, sponsoring us and just giving us kegs of beer for the whole weekend, which is a really nice thing of them to do. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, so we have a big raffle giveaway Saturday yep. night. We give away uh, a stuff to our attendees, and and uh, and so that's a big deal this year. 
Uh, we've got two keynote speakers Friday and Saturday night. Friday night is Nick Gordon. He's um, an educator out of Wisconsin that runs a guide company. He's also an EMT. So he'll be talking about some of his winter expeditions. Um, and then we're happy to, uh, to have Emily Ford out of Duluth on Saturday night. She did a Boundary Waters Crossing this last winter solo. She's the first um, openly gay black woman to have ever done that. She's also um, done the North Country Trail oh, and geez. the Ice Age Trail, um, both in the winter. So this is a very accomplished woman. Um, she's, I've heard her speak before. She's a great speaker. Um, so we're really excited um, to have her involved this year. So those are some of the big things. Um, the other thing would be just, and I think you alluded to this earlier, Bill, but um, is the fellowship, is yeah. the is having that many people together in one spot all kind of on the same page talking about the same stuff. It is amazing the conversations that you can have there and how you can lose track of time. Friday becomes Saturday, Saturday becomes Sunday, and all of a sudden you're going home. Um, I, I carry a notebook with me because I need to write stuff down. If I'm having a great conversation with someone and, and, and they come up with a little tip or trick, right, that really, I got to write it down because I'm having so many conversations over the weekend, I, might, I most certainly will forget it. So um, I think that's a huge part of the symposium that not a lot of um, people talk about. Um, the other thing that, that we don't talk about a lot but is still out there is that uh, the Winter Camping Symposium also runs an online forum that runs year-round. So that's a discussion panelized forum that has kind of separate, separate um, threads, separate threads um, that involve everything that we do at the symposium. So building stuff, trip reports, fishing reports, um, camping on the ice or not, you know, everything can be discussed year round there too. So that's, that's a big part and something we, ju we just have added in the last few years. What about somebody will be listening to this and they're in Arkansas right now. Shout out, Razorback. Um, uh, and they'll say, gosh, I'd love to go to this thing, but I don't own winter camping gear. Like, I'm an outcast. I can't do this. Yeah. What happens to people like that? So the camp uh, that we found a home at for about the last decade is the YMCA Camp Miller. That's in Sturgeon Lake, just south of Duluth, Minnesota. They have um, lots of cabins available to rent, um, and they're very affordable. We have local motels that are in the area, too. But I would say 90 plus percent of our attendees are either in tents or in the cabins on site that ha some are primitive cabins. Mm -hmm. So they just have like a, a wood fireplace in there. Um, and then others are fully heated, air conditioned, beds, you know, the whole deal. There's shower facilities on site. So someone can come up with zero equipment, I mean, n and no experience and still be able to eat meals on site, um, have their stuff secure and safe in their own room and have a warm, dry place to stay and not have to worry. So if you're, if you're on a plane, you don't have to worry about bringing a sleeping bag. You don't have to worry about bringing a tent. You don't have to worry about bringing a pad. Yeah. Um, you know, we have people that drive down from Canada and would much prefer to stay in a, in a, in a cabin or a, or a room rather than have to kind of huck all that gear for the weekend and stuff like that. So there are opportunities for people from Texas or Arkansas that have no equipment and just want to learn and meet people. There's a way that they can come up and do that for sure. The world is a weird place right now, right? So many people on any topic, whether it's, I'm not even going to go there, but you're either on the right side or the wrong, like nobody can find common ground, but this dang YMCA camp on this weekend, when you get up in the morning and the smoke is slowly rising out of the tent stacks, like everything feels right and Everyone is on the same page. Yeah, for sure. I, I, 
I, uh, it's a, it's a unique, unique event in a unique place with unique people. Um, to tie into that, uh, Matt and myself and a, and a close friend of ours um, were on a winter trip in March when COVID hit. Um, we came out of that trip to lockdowns. And I think for the three of us anyways, we were worried that that was going to be maybe the end of that type of trip. We all stayed in a tent together, right? You come home and all of a sudden you can't be together. You got to be apart. You can't be close. And so we were a little worried and we, we kind of said to ourselves, oh, maybe we should have just stayed in. Turn around. Should have just stayed in and never came back. Um, but what I think, I'll speak for myself, what I found is that in the last few years, especially with this event and, and most outdoor activities is that is the commonality between the people is that um, is it's not political. It's not about what hot issue is going on. It's about being outside and connecting with nature and then applying that to your daily life. I mean, I think that's a big thing that people don't talk about. I'll cover that in one of my courses this year um, is how do you take the lessons you learn in, in the natural world um, and apply those to your everyday material life? Um, for me, a good example would be traffic and my impatience with it. And what I found is when I come home from the woods, even though I've been away from it for so long, I have a resounding increase in patience level. I'm willing to take a deep breath and go, you know, it is what it is, man. And that is something that I struggle with in my life as far as stress and things. And the only place I find solace is in the woods. Well, now, instead of just like seven months a year, I have 12 months a year of wilderness therapy. And, it, and for me, it works. And I can apply that to my daily life. Lessons learned in the wilderness can be applied to your, to your daily life. I mean, just even in the way that you treat people and uh, the way you treat yourself. Um, so there's lessons to be learned there, and those are some of the things that we cover at the symposium. You know, we get in, dig in deep, and talk about some of those things that um, are a little more nuanced than just, "Hey, what tent are you running?" Mm -hmm. You know. So th those are some important things. Um, and there's hope. For me, it's hope because yeah. as soon as I come out of the woods, I'm a little bit foul. That right? I'm leaving this all behind, but now I'm looking forward. Right. Right. Maybe even to the next trip. <laughs> all the time and it never I has go to go home end. unpack and pack again right yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah you yeah. know and that's a big deal that's, it is that's a bright spot yeah i think i realized long long ago um that i was probably never going to climb mount everest right but that there were other things i could do in my life to challenge me in that way and still get some sort of that same feeling of accomplishment the same yeah. feeling of pushing yourself um, both physically and mentally. And, and, you know, those are the things that I loved about um, backpacking and canoeing and things like that was I was pushing myself. Well, winter is the culmination of all, all of those things. It's the culmination of your skill set, your physical ability, your mental stability. Um, all of those things could kind of come together. And, and you get off of a winter trip, especially a wilderness backcountry trip, yeah. and it's, it's fulfilling. I mean, it, a deeply fulfilling for me. One of the things Ryan and I were talking about in the truck before we came in was about staying in shape and not, you know, leading that sedentary lifestyle. And it's great motivation to uh, go to the gym every day when you know that you have to be out on the snow and ice moving, a, pulling a toboggan. I'm a, I'm a bit of a weirdo in my neighborhood. I have a Cooper truck tire. 
that is hooked up to my Polk harness. And I pull that. And first off, it makes a tremendous amount of noise. And it leaves a mark in the, the asphalt. Like it, so everyone knows when I'm out dragging and they're like, what are you training for? And you go, life. life. Yep. And it's yep. like this, yep. you know. But but that's it. You you cannot play that game well if you are not taking care of your body. If Matt and I go on a trip, uh, let's say a winter trip, and we're going into the Boundary Waters, and it requires physical effort and and mental stability, he's relying on me, and I'm relying on him. And so, well, you have a responsibility to yourself, I believe, to be in the best shape you can if you're going to go do a physical activity that involves risk. You also have a responsibility to your tripping partner. If I go down, he's going to have to make up that difference, whether it's carrying my load or carrying me. Um, and so, yeah, I do believe that year-round physical activity helps with um, backcountry travel. I mean, it absolutely does. The better shape you're in, the better time you're going to have. Um, the other thing is that it will also present a better experience for you, right? So um, not only will you be physically healthy, but you'll have a, be you'll have a better experience in the woods if you've if you have a loaded card in your skill set pocket, right, and you also have, um, you know, some physical attributes that will benefit you in that. I mean, the other part of the discussion in the truck Matt and I were having, we're like, man, if, if you if you got a good butt and good legs, you're probably going to be able to haul a toboggan, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you got skinny little pin legs and you work behind a computer all day, Maybe there's some other things first that you should be doing before you all of a sudden decide to walk into the Boundary Waters in January at 40 below. Whoa, which you is know. also how you manage trips, right? I'm giggling a little bit. We're sitting here in yeah. the world headquarters for our television production. We're in the conference room doing this, but two walls over, director of, of photography, Aaron Ochtenberg, is working on our winter trip from last season for the TV show, Minnesota Bound. And I'm a pretty healthy guy, and I'm a pretty tough guy. It took me to my limit and took Aaron to his limit. When you're trying to pull through waist-deep snow with heavy wind, heavy snow, patience, right, attitude, all that stuff goes to pot, and it is an absolute struggle to manage those things. And that's outside of equipment breakdowns and unexpected and you know, it's all about managing risk and that's Over, why we do it. Overcoming those things. Yeah. You want to share a story? <laughs> he does. Before we go, come on. There's, I mean, some, there's something got, brewing. We've got so many stories well, story. about struggle. Yeah. We got caught out on Clearwater Lake off the Gunflint Trail one winter where we... Which is a long, what, like seven mile east-west roughly yeah. open run. Great Lake Trout Lake. Great Lake Trout Lake. Uh not a great lake on this trip. Yeah, we were going in, and the first day was pretty good. We ran into some slush pockets, and um, but we set up camp and, and thought everything was good. We got some snow that night. Our ultimate goal was to try to get to uh, those waterfalls on Caribou Falls, yeah, yeah. Pine Lake yep. there. And uh, so we moved closer the next day and got more snow. And I don't know, four inches each night, I suppose. And it was uh, a warmer heavier snow yeah so a lot of weight pushed down on the snow or on the ice on the lakes and the water came up and we decided to leave i guess after day four yep and so a day early yep yep and then uh yeah we just got caught in all of that slush and 
We had one of our friends um, get really cold. I mean, you're walking in knee-deep snow and ice, and your toboggans are freezing up, so you have to flip them over and scrape them off. And I don't think we had a lot of scrapers. <laughs> we were, I was using my... No, but that can happen in 100 feet. When right. slush is bad and temps, right, it's a nonstop battle. Yep. And for anyone who's never dealt with that, when you start getting slush on a polk sled, it doesn't make the task tougher. It makes it impossible. You cannot pull. Right. It's like concrete. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's um, dire. And, you, yeah. And your snowshoes are getting, I mean, very well, heavy with all that wet. snow and ice. Yep. Yep. They're frozen. Um, it, the two things that I, that I recall from that story that I usually tell people is that we were measuring um, our distance and accomplishment by feet. It took us eight hours to go two miles on that lake. Yeah. And we could yeah. see our entry point for a day and a half. For a day and a half, we could see it. So we did have a, uh, a member of our party go hyperthermic on that trip. Yeah. Um, bad to where he was delusional. So what'd you do? We stopped and set up camp and cut down trees and fired that wood stove up, got him dry, fed him, um, used the satellite phone to call all of our spouses and tell them we weren't going to make it out that day and we needed an extra day beyond our original plan to get out. Um, it was all hands on deck. We were traveling with quite a few people. I think there were seven guys on that trip, yep. six or seven guys. And we put um, them all into two tents. Yeah, we were all in four. two tents. I mean, we were, I was using the head of my axe to beat ice off my tripping partner's mucklucks just to get them free of his feet. And we all put on frozen mucklucks in the morning. And it was, it was, um, it was the type of trip that changes the way you look at tripping. Yeah. You're not in charge at all times. No. And it, and it, um, it was a big ego check for a lot of us that, that were, were, were very experienced. I mean, these, this is a group of guys that have been tripping together for a number of years, cumulatively, I don't know, decades of, of backcountry winter camping experience. Um, but we, you know, we kept going. We thought, oh, yeah, we'll stay one more day. It won't be so bad. We knew better. We knew better. Um, but, yeah, now, you know, you take lessons from that and you learn. But I, I don't think anyone that was on that trip walked away um, without having some physical or mental scars from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had damaged my feet, took damage to my ears. Um, I definitely had some, some mental damage there. I felt I was part of the, the leadership team and, and had made some poor choices there. Um, you know, our, our friend that got hypothermia had some damage to his feet. Um, we had some finger stuff, some ear, nose stuff. I mean, nothing permanent but enough to enough yeah make memories it's not something we talk about often to be honest with you um it's not a trip that comes up in our group talks uh we don't i don't like talking about it i mean it was really really difficult um physically and, and and more mentally for me it was uh to measure your your distance and feet and that was just really, really hard. Uh, but um, we're much better for it now. We're better trip mates. We're closer. We make better decisions, more thoughtful decisions. We prepare differently. Um, you know, carrying satellite phone is a, is. When that satellite phone came out, we were all like, yeah, that was the best decision any one of us made, you know, um, to not call my wife and tell her I was going to be late and I just not show up. 
Lake County Sheriff's Department, Forest Service. They would I mean, she would have lit them up, right? So, yeah, we learned a lot of lessons on, on, on that trip. And, and I think, um, you know, sometimes bad trips make the best stories. Um, but they're certainly the, can be the best teachers. Best education, too. 100%. Yep. We've yep. all had them. We have. I, I'm hoping to not have too many more, especially like that. But, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a measure. It was a measure for us, for sure. You know. Well, I am sure looking forward to uh, seeing you guys at the YMCA camp. There will be a lot of people one and week, a lot of week. stories. Uh, if people want to find out more about the event, best spot? Probably our Facebook page. going to be the easiest to get to. Otherwise, we're um, wintercampingsymposium.com. Um, and in on that website, you'll find an explanation of of the entire event. You'll have a list and description of each speaker. Um, class schedule is on there. There's a link to our forums there. Links to all of our sponsors and gear providers, so you can check out all the equipment. Um, so yeah, that's going to be the best way to find us. And um, you can start arriving Wednesday next week, so one week from today. Awesome, Ryan, Matt. Thank you guys so yeah, much. Thanks, Bill. thanks, Bill, for having us. Next time we get together, I have a Clearwater hypothermia story for you guys, too. Nice. There we go. That sounds good. Thanks again. Awesome. Well, there you go. I hope to see you as well at the Winter Camping Symposium. If not, you know where the Shirk family will be. That does it for this week. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. We want to thank all the sponsors who helped make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen. Star Bank the bank we use at Minnesota Bound, Hewitt Docks, Connecticut, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Propane Association, North Dakota Tourism, and Grain Belt. Until next week, I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. I'll see you in winter camp. Mm-hmm.